Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 62nd episode, Jason Karlak returns to the podcast after a recent episode where we talked to him at Soren Gardens. He discusses his work in great length and detail this time. We talk about the relationship between the small and large paintings and how drawing plays a role in his studio practice. So please go ahead and stay tuned for this interview. Of course, if you want to see Jason's work in person, you can still do that right now. It's part of a group show at McKinsey Fine Art called Reticulation, which explores networks and pathways and various reticulation. There are a total of 17 artists in the show, and again, it's all... 2D painting and drawing, and great to look at, so please go ahead and do that. Again, you can see the show on view at Mackenzie Fine Art in New York, and the show runs through August 17th. For those of you new to Studio Break, we are a podcast and blog site that feature a variety of contemporary artists that discuss their work in great length and detail in a casual environment, and you can check out all the great interviews that we have on Studio Break using the archive feature. Just look on the left sidebar and scroll month by month, check out all the great artists. Again, each of those blog posts have images of the artist's work as well as links to their websites, full-length interviews, and you can listen right on Studio Break or subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, so please go ahead and do that. We also have a Facebook page where we provide updates from some of the guests that we've had on, preview some of the guests that we have coming up, and sometimes make cool announcements as well as post articles, stuff like that. We are on Twitter, so you can follow us at Studio Break. And if you want to follow me, I'm at David Linaway. And you can also check out my recent Kickstarter that's closing this week. It's a project called Remembering Place, so please go ahead and check that out. All right, it's time to get to it. Here's our interview with Jason. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm happy to be joined this morning by Jason Karolak. Good morning, Dave. I've just seen your work around over and over, and so it's great to have you uh, on finally. Yeah, good to get in touch with you, and thanks for inviting me to uh, do the interview today. You know, as it says on your bio, you're from Michigan, um, but could you give us a little bit more of a background, you know, where you grew up and maybe uh, what you were interested in when you were a kid? went to undergrad at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, uh, lived in New York for about 10 years, then moved to Chicago for five, went to grad school. 2004 through 2006 at School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and then uh, moved back to New York about four years ago. Was exposed to art, I think, as a young child um, through school, through my parents. I had a couple uh, good art teachers, even at a young age, um, who were very encouraging. So it wasn't something that was ever foreign to me. Um, and it was something I wanted to do from a young age and pretty much stuck with me all the way. So I guess I was lucky right. <laughs> to have to have that uh, exposure and also to um, just be excited about it uh, from a young age. And was it predominantly all types of different materials that, that you had in terms of being an art, art student? I mean, was it like formal high school or? I think, you know, mostly painting and drawing, but I made different things throughout those years. I went to uh, kind of an arts high school as well. I went to Cranbrook School, which is the high school at the Cranbrook Academy of Art. So we had really good teachers there as well. Probably spent three hours a day in the studio. I had a great teacher there that exposed me to a lot of contemporary and 20th century artists. So, but mostly painting and drawing. And, and how did you like to work at the time? 
I just imagine like a sketchbook full of of like doodles for some reason. <laughs> you know, at the time, uh, I mean, the people that I was interested in, many of them I'm still interested in. You know, when I was coming up through middle school and high school, I had a a, a book of de Kooning and I had a book of Stuart Davis, and those are two two of my still two of my favorite artists. And in high school, I was sort of working through trying to understand pop and and some things that were happening in the in the sixties and seventies, minimalism. And uh, I was really interested in Jasper Johns when I was in high school. Um, and so I was making some letter paintings and some flag paintings and some kind of uh, you know sort of copies or um, not so much copies, but uh, appropriations of some some Johns Johnsian ideas at that time. Well, and so what did you, I guess, how did you decide then that you were going to uh, uh, pursue it? I mean, did, did, were people encouraging you at a young age then to, to you know, become a, a teacher or a professional artist or? I had a teacher in, in high school who was very encouraging. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had her MFA. She was a serious artist. She was, you know, not really showing, but she was, she is uh, a great artist and a great teacher. And she kind of encouraged me. You know, it was it was shooting me like check out this art school. You know, in a, in a subtle way, maybe you should think about this. And I didn't actually make it to art school right away because my parents uh, didn't want me to go to art school. Who would have thought? <laughs> but I found my way there, and I ended up getting my my degree from Pratt. But yeah, no, I wanted to do it. I, I knew in high school, I knew from a young age, I wanted to be an artist. Um, I don't think I had any idea of what that meant. But I definitely had some images in my head, and it was definitely something that I was committed to from a young age. In terms of making this decision, then, um, and you're going for it, and you go to study art, what, what's that experience like with the background that you have? Were you really focused from, from the word go, or, or was it something where you were able then to also kind of explore all these other options and, and kind of talk with other artists and see what they were interested in? You know, I was lucky because what I what I ended up doing was I went to college for two years. Mm-hmm. I went up to Bates college in Maine and I went to university of Michigan both for a year. And I had a chance to, to study a lot of academic classes and study with some great professors and, you know, history, Shakespeare, sociology, and, uh, get a lot of those classes kind of under my belt, but also get some, some knowledge base. So when I got to Pratt, what was 1994, I didn't really have that many academic classes that I needed to take so I could really dig into the studio work. But, you know, it was a whole new environment. I mean, it was, a, you know, being in an art school is is competitive. People are talented. I think they're even more talented now at, at these high-powered art schools. But, you know, it was just amazing to be surrounded by serious kids that were um, just as weird and, and serious about this stuff as I was. But no, I felt like I was starting over. When I got to Pratt, it was like, let me try to figure out how to learn how to draw. Let me figure out how to you know, mix oil. Even though I had a base and an and appreciation for art, before that, I was I was starting over when I got there. Was there a real emphasis to, to work a specific way, or were you just kind of encouraged to explore a variety of different ways? Because I, especially thinking about that in terms of, you know, seeing where your work is now, and there's just a level of that, that uh, abstraction. It looks like the paintings are very intuitive to some degrees. Well, I think that I was interested in abstraction, like, pretty much all the way through. And so when I was at Pratt, um, you know, I took 
figure drawing and and some other observational um, courses or activities, but pretty much I was able to focus on you know my own work and I was able to do projects that were primarily abstract. And I think that the vocabulary has has been pretty steadily through more or less abstract. Now you know there's always been elements that kind of bleed into that. You know whether it was collage for a while, whether it was borrowing little fragments of imagery or fragments of lettering. You know, in in undergrad, I was doing lots of different things because you're you're playing catch up. You're trying to understand art history. You're trying to get a feel for your own work. You're trying to get better. You know, there's all these things coming at you. I'd say about junior year, I studied with a guy named Howard Buckwald, who's a great painter still working in New York and then another painter Jack Sonnenberg when I was a senior at Pratt so I I was able to study with two great painters two great abstract painters just kind of like started to get my groove and just started out with very simple constructions of blocks of color and uh, at the time I was working large I was making like eight feet long paintings I think they were four by eight feet and they were just made up of hand-painted uh, blocks of color. So it'd create these kind of grids, but they weren't drawn out ahead of time. And then just kind of shift the color as I found the painting. And it's really not that different from the way I work now. I mean, I think things have shifted over the years in and out of that, but it's interesting to see like what I'm doing now is really not that different from the way these paintings were constructed back in like 94, 95, 96. And it's interesting to think about that scale too. It's a monster scale for, well, at least in my, in my mind. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, at the time Howard was like, you know, I want you all to try to work big and see what that feels like and even just get a sense for scale. Mm-hmm. And that was great for me. And now, you know, I work big now, basically now I work in two, two scales, big scale about 80 by 90 inches and a small scale about 16 by 14 inches being able to handle that big scale is difficult you know and uh i think having the opportunity to do that earlier was really important for me yeah i, I would think so you know it's something that especially if you think about it yeah i mean your idea of scale is going to be uh, entirely different just like going go, watching something on an iphone versus going to an imax you know yeah, in fact i was like I was determined to push it and I had this tiny little studio I rented for $50 a month at Pratt and um, I couldn't even get back from the paintings. And I think the wall was like eight and a half feet long and I was making paintings that were eight feet long. I would actually lean out the window to try to get back from the painting. Right. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you're, you're young and ambitious and you're trying to, uh, you think the big is better, and and that idea of um, you know working uh, intuitively or, or formally and and kind of reacting. How did that process work? How did you you know decide what you're going to do in a, a specific painting? You know, you kind of develop a, a language almost or a way of thinking about how you proceed or make rules for yourself. I, I started to pare down to like this abstract painting language of blocks of color. It was enough just to deal with the color and structure and try to understand that and try to get a feel for that. And um, that even had like metaphorical possibilities for me. There was a way for me to, to understand and develop formally, but also insert and include things that may be personal, metaphorical, expressive for me. From there, it kind of progressed. 
at other points over the years, I would bring in what I would say maybe are fragments of images. And I started using um, pieces of lettering, lettering from packaging or from signage. And I was also really trying to digest people like David Sally and people who were using appropriation at the time. It was mid-90s. It was a little bit later than that, but I was I was playing catch-up. You know, I was trying to understand what appropriation was all about. That That is more or less continued, and at some point I started to bring in these fragments of lettering, but they were abstracted to the point where the letters would be shapes. How did you move on from there? I mean, I know that you... You talked about moving, doing, doing, getting kind of your primary education out of the way, or at least your, you know, your core classes. You're kind of immersed in, in working on all these paintings. So, um, you know, what did, what did it, what was that transition when you decided to grad, when you graduated and and moved on? Did you go straight to graduate school, or I think you said earlier you took some time off? Yeah, I took seven years off between undergrad and grad school, and you know, I didn't really know. What I mean, I got a little bit of guidance, but I didn't have that much guidance, and I didn't really know how to go about it and, and what the track was or is, not that there is one. Mm-hmm. So I basically got a job working in a restaurant, and I got a studio, and I made paintings for about seven years, and then you know, basically decided to apply to grad school. I did some shows that were mostly self-produced around New York and, and Brooklyn at the time. And then in 2004 through 2006, I went to the School of the Art Institute. I had been living in New York up to that point for about 10 years and kind of wanted to, like, step out of New York to focus on my own work. And um, and not that, not that Chicago is a quiet place by any means. Right. <laughs> but I think I had this idea of stepping out of New York to kind of focus on my own work for a couple of years. Sure. Um, anyways, so I went to went to SAIC in two thousand four. You mentioned this earlier, the idea of uh, being in cities. I mean, how how do you think that just generally influences you as a person? I mean, are you just always looking for for things um, to do or to take in? Obviously, you know, being in New York uh, has its advantages, or being in a big city. But is there something that you're also kind of drawn to? Yeah, I think um, you know it started for me. Uh, when I was living in Brooklyn and, you know, it was the first time I'd lived in a big city at that time it was Fort Greene, Brooklyn. It was a little bit rough around that area, around Pratt. You know, it was exciting in a way. I mean, it was, it was urban. There was, you know, all this energy, um, so much visual information, so much noise, so much music, everything around, you know, and so it was all, it was all pretty exciting. At some point, I, you know, was really interested in abstraction, but I was also kind of interested in bringing some of those elements into the work, but through like little bits and pieces. So as I said before, I started to sort of sample these little mm-hmm. fragments of, of signage. And um, it was influenced by, you know, uh, appropriation ideas and influenced by uh, pop and and someone like Stuart Davis, who in some ways was like the first American pop artist. Um, and uh, and so I started to bring these these elements in. Being an abstract painter, living in New York and for, and for some of that time in Chicago, and really interested in all these formal elements of of color, line, shape, space, but not interested in the kind of purity at all. 
and sort of like what else can come into that um, into that abstraction? What what kind of seeps into it or bleeds mm-hmm. into it? And that's something that is really central to the work now, and I think is has been for probably 10 to 15 years. Well, and it's interesting, too, to think about the way that, you know, living in a new city might have influenced that. I think one of the big things that people forget, too, is that it'll also kind of tell you what themes are reoccurring, what things are important. Was there anything that you took from Chicago, you know, immediately that that you found uh, resonance with in your work? Chicago was great, and, and the school of the Art Institute was great. I had great professors. I think... You know, the energy is definitely a little bit different from New York, um, a little bit more manageable. But in terms of, like, being in Chicago and being at the school, you know, I just got interested in this idea of, like, building a practice that was and is more sustainable and something that is um, kind of long-lived and slow and that progresses, but it's not... um, progressing like it's not changing every year or every week or every month and so that kind of slowing down of the studio practice and um this idea of of building a language building a vocabulary that i think you know was was influenced by being in chicago and being at at the school of the art institute working with people like richard rezak suzanne deramus michelle gradner sure so what did you get out of uh, your peers? You know, you've talked a little bit about some of the faculty members and where do they want you to go with your work and, and how did that influence that, that level of building vocabulary like you? You know, I had, I had great peers. Um, I think that, you know, my particular group that I came in with were just super uh, friendly and supportive and, um, and serious and, um, and positive. And uh, that definitely had an impact on me. I think that, you know, people uh, at the time and, and still, and we're thinking about, like, trying to make, you know, good paintings, trying to make serious paintings, trying to move the conversation about painting forward. And even though it's fraught with all this um, difficult history or problematic histories, you know, there was a real push at the time to move beyond a kind of snarky, you know, irony in a right. way. And that, that was difficult, but that's something I shared with a lot of people I was in school. It sounds like a lot of painters, painters, you know, people that really like to be immersed in that. Was there any other, uh, like, kind of materials explorations, suggestions, uh, different ways that, that, that kind of influenced you, being around people that were really actively pursuing painting? The program at the Art Institute, there's 50 painters painting students in the mfa program so you have this huge group of painters not everyone's making paintings of course but most are and then you have this whole group of professors most of which are making paintings within the painting department as opposed so you're in this department as opposed to just being someone who makes paintings within you know an open program and again it's open there but you're also kind of within you're working next to other painters. You're having conversations about painting. And so being immersed in that kind of ups the ante and um, really got people, to, you know, what's the surface look like? What's the color doing? What's, you know, how good is this? Uh, what's this space doing? What are these images saying, etc. So you're having this more specific conversation, which I think happens in every grad school. But I think at the Art Institute, because there's so many painters, 
it, it becomes a more local or maybe even medium-specific conversation at times, um, which can be bad, but I think it can also be really good. Good for me to, to basically push myself to be a better painter because I'm not someone who is really trained in, in observation or any kind of traditional techniques. I mean, I knew, I knew the basics, but I've kind of learned as, I, as I've gone along, and I think that's probably how most... Most people learn uh, in the last, you know, 60 years or so. It's like a, a dictionary almost, you know, a dictionary of people with knowledge about something that's very finite, you know? Yeah. Like a lot, like a lot of painters that are going to go, that's, uh, that's not the right medium to use on this, you know, which is probably one of the best things about graduate school is all the resources of that. Yeah, and I mean, there's those, there are those specific, you know, conversations that, that occurred and occur someone coming to your studio and just saying like, why are you using, you know, like I remember Jim Lutz would, would go into people's studios and say, why are you using this paint? This is crappy sure, paint, sure. you know? So it's just like basic, basic technical or material conversations too. We talked or at least hinted about this a little bit too. So what, what kind of, what kind of materials uh, were you exploring? I mean, were, were you, have you always been like an oil painter? Yeah. Um, undergrad, I was making oil paintings and then toward the end, uh, around 1997, I started using acrylic because I was much more interested in these more graphic shape-based and, and kind of fragment paintings that I was making at the time. So I started using acrylic and probably used acrylic from like 97 to around 2002. But I was really getting hungry again for for getting back into a more juicy painterly approach and so um, I started to shift things around 2003 and I, I don't know I didn't know exactly what I was doing but I started making a bunch of oil paintings a little bit before I went back to graduate school and then when I got into graduate school like I said in 2004 I was doing both I was making some acrylic paintings and I was making some oil paintings and then I just kind of started to really dig into what I would describe as, as my present work, maybe more mature work, around 2005, 2006. And those were all relatively thick oil paintings on canvas, linen, or panel. Um, and that, that vocabulary is more or less continued into the present. Well, one of the things that I, I noticed, and especially to, to talk about the, the work that's up there, even though it is a formal kind of language that you've developed, you know, there are things that are very interesting that happen. And I think one of the things that I noticed about, especially the larger works, you know, and the older works for, that you have from your website is there's some that, that also really kind of start to develop, you know, a sense of space and a playfulness in terms of the relationship of space to the forms, how how did that you know come about? And I guess to be more specific, you know how do you how do you design these compositions? And and do you have a a plan in mind when you go into it? How how is it that you set it up? So um, you know, in terms of that vocabulary, you know, it started out with very basic drawings, ink on paper for the most part, some gouache, but mostly black ink on white paper, and just simple line and shape relationships. And um, would just go through, you know, a stack of paper. And that was is really the start of that vocabulary. So the early paintings in this vein were very simple, kind of wonky geometric paintings, I would say. 
I think over the past four or five years, that's gotten some ways more focused or developed a little bit more. I wouldn't say it's gotten that much more complex, but maybe a little bit more complex. But essentially what I do is work from thumbnails um, in my sketchbook and work from ink drawings on paper, smallish ink drawings. And um, when I get to the studio, I'll make like, you know, a bunch of ink drawings that are relatively quick. They're, you know, they're easy in a way. They're loose. And I may end up saving a few of those. I may end up throwing them all away. I may end up saving 10 that I like, five that I like. Um, And that's a process that continues daily or near daily in the studio. And that's a way to kind of get myself warmed up, to get myself into a kind of drawing vocabulary, kind of visual visual thinking. And, and then I do a lot of like thumbnailing in my sketchbook where I sort of have like little ideas for paintings that I keep reworking, reworking, whether I'm on the subway or I'm at home seeing, you know, at my kitchen table. I'm just like kind of working over these ideas through these little drawings. The drawing process is almost all black and white ink on paper. And then when I move from those drawings into the paintings, I start to think in color. I might make some notations, but I really don't want to have all the color worked out beforehand. So I'm thinking about how do I generate this, uh, this form, this structure into this painting in terms of color and how does the color and the structure, um, how might they be married or, or, or be united in, in the painting. And from the small paintings, in the small paintings, this is, you know, a very dense space. The, the linear elements or little linear blocks of color are generally all pushed together and kind of compressed into a very dense space. And the bigger paintings, it's more about um, an open, airy, linear drawing on on the ground. So I'll lay down the black ground and then I'll kind of build up this linear drawing on top. But both the small and the large come out of this drawing practice. Well, I, I think that's really interesting to, to know. There's such a difference between thinking about it as, as being a drawing practice too. The way that you are able to react to things in a way that, I don't know, I think somebody might think it's really planned out in a certain way. So it seems interesting that that drawing is also a way to kind of allow it to be very active, a very active process of, of working through an idea and then also being able to, to take all of these different elements that you've described and and then just kind of set it up like a getting a, a, a free throw, you know, like you're setting yourself up for that that shot to make it. I don't know. Well, it's funny to say I, I, I played basketball and um, – in, in high school and college, and I and and I, I unfortunately end up dropping a lot of sports metaphors sometimes when I teach, um, and I actually use the uh, the free throw the free throw metaphor as like you know when I teach drawing like you you you're you're training your your body to draw these things, and um, you know the more you practice those free throws, the more you might be able to make it. But no, I mean, I think uh, there's a kind of accumulative process happening, a kind of momentum that happens where 
one drawing leads into the next drawing, leads into the next drawing. One sketch leads into the next sketch, into the next sketch, leads into the painting, right? So you have this kind of like momentum happening and there's a kind of energy moving forward. Making a big painting is difficult. It's difficult to get the color right. It's difficult to get the scale right, to have it feel like it's not too too compact, but also big enough, etc. So there's a certain kind of confidence that has to be present when you move into a big painting or when I move into a big painting. So part of the drawing process is kind of getting myself ready for that. And also this idea of just using myself, you know, using my own images, my own um, record of Mark's record of, of forms, and then kind of building on that as I move forward. So, so that the la- it's not so much that the language is referring to itself, but it's that the language is kind of stacking on top of itself. And that's very important thematically for me as well. Do you think that that adds to that ability to then experiment when you, when you try something out? Yeah, the, the focused and seemingly restrictive boundaries of the vocabulary actually offer me a lot of freedom. So knowing that certain elements are going to remain the same, having worked with certain structures before, or certain forms or certain linear elements before, as I move forward, I'm able to improvise on that. I'm able to shift that. I'm able to, re- to react to that without having to reinvent all the parameters of the painting each time. So those restrictions offer me a lot of freedom, which is you know probably not that unusual for a lot of painters, but it's definitely true for me. Well, and, and what's, could you talk a little bit about the differences? Just, I mean, we, we've kind of grazed it, but I mean, are there any um, big challenges that come up in terms of the way that you work on the two bodies? Even with the small ones, are you standing up? Because it seems like the, the large ones are so much more physical. So, you know, there's, like I said before, there's essentially the two scales. I'm starting to do a couple other things in the middle, but it's essentially the small scale compact paintings and the large, more open paintings where there's a form sitting on a, on a dark ground. And it takes a different set of attributes, I guess, or abilities or sensibilities when I approach each of the two scales. The, the big paintings, I definitely have to be like up for it. I definitely have to be ready to engage with that physical scale. It's, it's on the scale of the body. You know, I work on them generally from the bottom up. So I literally like, you know, kneel down or get low with the painting and, and work my way up. And I'm generally standing when I make those. I have a, you know, a cart next to me and um, I might mix up a particular color so that I have it closer to me near the canvas, but essentially working on those standing up. And the small paintings are much more intimate in terms of the way I make them. That I put them on my lap or I set them on the table Sometimes I use an easel, but I'm much closer to them, and they don't have that same kind of bodily physicality. Although they do have, they do have a physicality, and they're and they're you know made with relatively thick paint. Do you find that they that they wind up informing each other aside from ways that we wouldn't think of? I go back and forth between them, and I like having the two different avenues in the studio. You know, it works two different sides of me. You know, I, I guess I feel fortunate to have those two avenues. I could have three or four avenues, you know, but I like having the two. And in a way, it's um, it allows for two different kinds of spaces. The small paintings 
there in a way about packing a lot of information into a space. The elements are are kind of locked together. They're uh, compressed, and they they the forms and the paintings generally drive upward, but they also kind of drive inward, in a way for me. The large paintings are you know really more about getting active in a kind of broader mark making a mark making that has more to do with my body and the scale of the human body. Not so much that I want to express that as a maker, but I want the viewer to be able to sense that body scale when they see the paintings in person because they are big and you do have a kind of um, relationship to them physically when you're standing in front of them, as you would with any painting, but particularly with this, this scale of painting. I'm really going for much more of a lightness in those paintings. I want there to be a lot of space and a lot of air, and I want the forms to sit up and um, have a kind of levity to them. In a way, it's about doing a lot less in the big paintings. It's like, not not like how little can I do, but I definitely don't want to overwork them, and I want to get them to sort of sit up. In the large paintings, there's a lot more looking happening in between moves or in between sessions you know it's a lot about considering and looking and seeing what's happening with the form and then making the the few moves i need to make and then basically getting you know getting out like letting the painting be okay it's finished now you know the thing about them is that the big paintings fail at times and there's there's a there's much more failure built into the process of making the big paintings because they either work eventually or they don't work and because everything shows in them i can't necessarily and i won't just try to fix them or save them sometimes i can save a painting but generally it's like it's either going to work or it's not going to work so i end up destroying a decent amount of them that don't work out whereas the small paintings i might do that as well but it might just morph into something else and kind of build up over time there is more failure built into the process of the big paintings. In a way, there's more kind of on the line with those paintings. It's interesting, too, because, you know, it sounds like then the, the smaller ones might also become more labor-intensive. Is that is that right? Or, like, more sessions? You, ha- you know what I mean? You can kind of, well, like, there's not as much fa- possibility of failure, I guess? Yeah, they, they become, uh, I think, a little more obsessive. They mm-hmm. become a little more made over time, like you can see like, okay, he put this brush stroke down, then he put this one, then he put this one. Like there's a sort of labor building of the form. Whereas the the large paintings are more about like, you know, making a few marks, building a structure, but it's not, I haven't like painted and painted and painted and painted it, you know? I think that that idea of layering in the small paintings is something that you might not think of it in the way that it relates to the large ones, but it's almost like um, by being able to kind of work up color and layer it, you know, it almost kind of gives you a, a resource then when you're kind of all set up, your senses are heightened, you've been drawing, you're all kind of like studied up for this large painting, and then it's like, go, you know? So it's an interesting balance between the, the, the two ways of working. Yeah, and to, and to kind of build off that question because you'd asked me earlier about like where does the color come from and um not that that's a a simple answer but it's an you know it's an important question because i think the color is really central to my painting practice 
But in the small paintings, I can really kind of find the color over time, accumulatively. I'll put a lot of color down and start to see, like, what are those relationships? And it's almost like I don't really know what the relationships are until I see them next to each other. So block of this color, block of that color, strip of this color, strip of that color. Okay, now I see, like, those two are working, those two are not working, those three, those four. And accumulatively, I start to find the color, maybe strip some color back out, reduce it down, figure out what the relationships are. With the bigger paintings, it's a little bit more selective, but there's also a process in finding the color. Uh, put the first layer down, okay. Uh, second layer, okay, I see what's starting to happen. Third layer, okay, now I'm starting to get some, some light happening. I'm starting to figure out that's the green I want or that's the yellow I want, etc. Maybe I'll do this next. I'm finding the color in the big paintings, but it's a slower process. I can't change it as much. It's more like gradually finding it. Whereas in the small paintings, I can throw a bunch of ingredients in and then kind of figure out what I want there um, in terms of the color. You know, so we talked and, and you know, met briefly, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we had you on uh, Studio Break uh, as part of this Soaring Gardens group. So was there anything from that that experience, since it's the most you know, kind of recent one that I know of, again, where you're kind of in a new environment and kind of mixing things up. Is there anything that you took from that that's um, influencing your work now? And, and what kind of immediate plans do you have for your work? Doing the residency out at, at Soaring Gardens in Pennsylvania was, was great. It was um, just nice to be, you know, out of the city and in a, in a beautiful environment and soaking up that world and having a chance to focus on painting 14 days straight in the studio, being with a uh, a few great artists as well and, and sharing some conversations. So it just pumped up the studio practice. It uh, gave me some bits and pieces of source material to pull from. Nothing major changed. You know, I was able to get some good paintings done there or, or shortly thereafter. But, you know, it, it just gave me another perspective on, like, how I can source material into the work. And, you know, like like I said before, you know, the work is largely... What we what we we may term, for lack of a better word, formal, in the sense that I'm dealing with color relationships and space and line and shape relationships. But uh, you know, I'm really interested in what else leaks into the work or seeps into the work, and how things that that I see or things that we see or things that we experience can make their way into this kind of formal vocabulary, whether it's color whether it's like suggestion of a reference. And this is something that I do when I'm in, you know, New York. I go, I go around, I walk around, and I, I, I look at things. I find things. I make notes. I make drawings. I take photographs. And uh, these little bits and pieces kind of make their way into the work. Uh, so being out, you know, at the residency, is just, it's nice to be in a totally different environment and see how does that, how does that affect what comes into the work. So, you know, primarily I'm here in New York and this is my environment. And so this is what I'm drawing on. That process continues of like bringing in what I would call implicit as opposed to explicit elements into the work, um, whether it is a suggestion of an image, suggestion of weight, the suggestion of light, you know, the suggestion of 
uh, architecture, you know, into what what may first appear uh, appear as a as a like pure formal language. You're in a part of a group show at Mackenzie Fine Arts. So, could you just uh, talk a little about that and who else is in the show? It's a group show called Reticulate, curated by Valerie Mackenzie at Mackenzie Fine Arts up until August 17th. And great show includes uh, Lori Ellison, Yuyoi Kasama. Devin Powers, Mark Shankman, Lauren Monk. There's about 17 artists, and it's a show of networks and webs is kind of the formal tying structure behind the exhibition. That's up until August 17th. Yes, I'll have a solo show at Harper College outside of Chicago in February. Awesome. And so it looks like you got a lot of uh, time to get things done and, and rolling in the studio in the meantime. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again for uh, taking the time to talk with me about your work. And uh, again, it's uh, always fun to go from uh, admiring it on uh, Facebook and then uh, being able to chat with you about it here. So, Hey, Dave, I really appreciate uh, having the chance to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Jason for joining us, and please go check out his website, jasoncarillac.com, and you can also still see his work in person in this group show, Reticulate, which is running through August 17th at McKinsey Fine Art in New York. Again, that show has 17 artists in it, all exploring the idea of reticulation, networks, webs, all visual all 2D drawing and painting, and it looks amazing. So please go ahead and check that out. If you want to find out more about me, your host, David Linway, please check out my website, davidlinway.com. I am primarily a painter and drawer. I explore landscape and architecture in my work, so please go ahead and check it out. You can also check out a project that I have recently launched and is closing, a Kickstarter called Remembering Place, that explores this very idea of place and places through your images. So please consider backing this project for a variety of rewards. And again, you can do that just by supporting it and contributing interesting images you can earn prints catalogs as well as original artworks that we collaborate on and again there's about a week left so please go ahead and check it out please check out all the other podcasts that we have on studio break again each of the artists and interviews can be accessed through our archive feature just look on the left sidebar go month by month each of those interviews have links to the artist's websites images of their work and it's all very easy to digest and check out so please go ahead and do that You might even start with Highlight Episode 22, which featured Jason, Michael Willie, Arjan Zazueta, and Thomas Vance from their residency during their two weeks at Soaring Gardens. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and once again, if you're there and you've listened for a while, we hope that you leave some comments as it just generally increases visibility for others that like listening to cool podcasts like Bad at Sports, Art 21, the Mark Marin podcast, or maybe any other podcast under the sun. There's plenty of them, but please go ahead and leave us some feedback. We'd really appreciate it. Of course, if you like this podcast, you can easily share it with your friends or anyone else that's interested in. We also really appreciate that. Please like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break, and you can follow me if you want at David Linaway. All right, that's our interview for this week. We'll talk to you real soon.